There we go. Now the mic's on. So, good morning. Glad you are here. We are in Haggai. I was thinking about, um, we saw Rich Fleming, and I've known Rich and Jody a long time. Um, I met Rich and Jody um, while working summer camp at Highland Lakes, and um, we just had such a neat time together in that week that we spent and, and just kind of glomming all the neat stories of the missionary work that they were doing. And, and they are a couple of folks who have really instilled in me a, a heart and a passion for mission work and for missionaries. And so I'm really appreciative and thankful that we as a body could pray for them today as they're celebrating birthdays in their house. We are going to be in Haggai chapter 1. If you're not sure if you've got your Bible, how do I get to these minor prophets? The easiest way to get to the minor prophets is to go to Matthew and then flip backwards. <laughs> that's, that's the easiest way to do that. If you're stumbling around trying to get it, they are small, thin little books, and they're sometimes hard to do. We're going to read all of Haggai chapter 1 today and um, take a look at what the Word of the Lord says to us through his prophet Haggai. So Haggai chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to it. If not, you'll notice the words on the screen. Let's hear the Word of the Lord. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, it is is it a time for you yourselves, sorry, verse 4, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while the house, this house lies in ruin? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but still never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on the ground, and what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and all their labors." Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of, their, of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, 
and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Father, we just thank you so much for this time you've given us to worship you through the hearing and responding to your word. I pray, Lord, that as we uh, get into Haggai, that we heed your word where it says, consider your ways. Father, I pray that as we, we see this, that we do just that, that we consider our ways, that we, we take some time to reflect on what is keeping us from being completely obedient to you. Father, I pray that you would cut away at all of those things. You would speak to our hearts. You would draw us close to you. Challenge us, correct us, convict us as we spend time in your word this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, in our series that we went through the last, as we go through these last of the four minor prophets, we've already finished Zephaniah, and now we're into Haggai. Zephaniah was prior to Judah being exiled and taken into captivity uh, in Babylon, right? Haggai is just after the Babylonian exile. Now, if you remember back to our sermon series, Ezra and Nehemiah, we talked about this a little bit in worship time with music, that um, the word of the Lord that comes to Haggai is given to Zerubbabel and Joshua is, is mentioned in Ezra chapter 5 back there. So we're we're moving on. Um, the next three of these books, as we get into Zechariah and Malachi, as we do Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, all of them take place post the Babylonian exile as God is speaking to his people there. So the people had already begun to kind of trickle back into Judah. They had reestablished their homes and began rebuilding their families. Um, and they're really kind of living the, like the Judean dream, if you would. Like they're, they're doing good things. They're working hard. They're trying to look for prosperity. But the problem is that while they're trying to live their best lives, they have neglected the temple in Jerusalem. Now, and in neglecting the temple in Jerusalem, they're not just neglecting this structure. They are neglecting God. They are neglecting God. So that's a major problem facing the people of, Ju of Judah because the temple of God is laying in ruins and the people have done nothing about it. They're ignoring this issue. But if the temple of God is laying in ruins, then God is not with them. The temple in the Old Testament is where God dwelt with his people. And here he has no dwelling place to be with his people. And as the word of the Lord comes to Haggai and he brings it to the people, he asks them to consider whether or not their prosperity is really bringing about the satisfaction they're looking for. Is all that they're doing, all the efforts they're putting forth, are they really satisfied with what they want? See, the people are living right now in comfortable, luxurious homes while the temple of God lies in ruins. The people are focusing on their personal comforts. Yet the imagery here is that God is homeless and cast to the streets. Because again, the temple was the dwelling place of the Lord in the Old Testament. It was their center of worship. Without the temple, 
All of that is lost. There's no worship. There's no God dwelling with his people. And we know that our God wants to dwell with us. And God says to the people, consider your ways. He has them consider their ways, to ponder their ways and the consequences of their ways. They've worked hard. They've sown much. Yet they've reaped little. They're experiencing these, these disappointing crop yields. And God is telling that, that it is a direct result of ignoring him. God has not blessed their crop yields because they have preferred their own comfort over rebuilding the temple and establishing worship amongst the people. And it's interesting because the people eat and they drink, they buy and make clothes, they, they earn money, yet there never seems to be enough. No, no matter what they do, there's no prosperity. There's not a satisfaction in what they do. They're working to care for themselves, they're working to care for their families, but they're seeing nothing but frustration. And this is why God says to them to consider their ways. As they consider their frustrations and the labors, God gives them the command to do the work necessary to glorify the Lord. They're commanded to build for the Lord a proper temple. The Lord is pleased and he takes pleasure in the acceptable sacrifice of his people. This is who God is. And as the people work and they do the work of honoring God through the sacrifice of temple building, they will again know God's pleasure and they will again see God's glory. And in verse 9, God speaks again through Haggai. He uses the word house three different times in verse 9. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. It's that word home house three different times. Once he uses it to refer to kind of a, a place for storing things right? Once he refers to it as the house of the Lord or the temple, and once referring to one's personal dwelling space. See, the Jews have returned from exile and have busied themselves with the things of their own house rather than the things of the Lord. And God is pointing out their misplaced priorities. And in verses 10 and 11 show the consequences of misplaced priorities. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and on the ground, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and all their labors. See, if God's house will lay in ruins so will the fields and the labor of those who claim to be God's people. These are the consequences. Now, I want to I pause for just a second here. And, and I want to think about these first 11 verses that we've seen here in Haggai 1 before we move on. I, I want us to kind of stop and think about this because I, I want us to not take anything out of context 
or look at this in a, in a peculiar way. I want us to know that, that this section isn't one of those like bless God and bl- God will bless you kind of situations. That's not what this is. This isn't a if you write the check, God will write a bigger check kind of thing. That's not what, that's not what Haggai is talking about. This isn't a give sacrificially to God and, and God will give back to you generously and abundantly situation. That's not what it is. This is about the people not being content with what God is already graciously giving them. And they're not content because they have not prioritized being satisfied in the Lord. And they have not prioritized their relationship with the Lord. Church, we need to be cautious of that because we can also be in the same way. We can be not content with what the Lord has already graciously given us. And the reason we are not content with what the Lord has already given us is because we have not prioritized being satisfied in Him. And we have not prioritized our relationship with Him. See, the the people here in, in Haggai's time, they've been back in Judah and Jerusalem for about 16 years. In that time, they have, have ignored, forgotten that God has let them survive in exile and then brought them back to the homeland that he has given them. And, and they should be overjoyed by that. And, and you would think you would see this exuberant worship taking place throughout all of the land. But instead, we see the pursuit of, of material well-being rather than spiritual obedience. So no matter how hard people work, they're never going to be satisfied because they are pursuing the things of earth rather than pursuing the things of God. It isn't, doesn't, it's not that God doesn't want them to flourish. It's not that God doesn't want them to have prosperity. That's not the case. God does want to see that for his people. But God wants them to be obedient to him. And God wants them to honor him more than he cares about them flourishing or being prosperous. See, as, as I read this passage of Haggai, I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And Paul in there, he's writing, and he says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I know the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and and need. See, the Apostle Paul had figured out true contentment, true satisfaction. He knew true contentment. He knew how to be truly satisfied with all that you have, knowing that it comes from God. And he knew that true satisfaction, true contentment comes with being satisfied with God, being satisfied with the things of God. And the people here in Haggai's time, they're confronted with this same kind of idea. God himself confronts them with this. He says to them twice, consider your ways. And it sees twice in Scripture we see, consider your ways. 
and we are confronted by God and told to consider our ways, that is exactly what we should do. And that is what we see the people do. They take time to consider their ways. They take that that admonition that was issued in the first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 11, and they take it to heart. They heed that, and they show fear. Anytime I see the phrase, and the people feared the Lord, like we see in verse 12, I am reminded that those people remembered their place before a holy, just, and righteous God. And anytime I see, and the people feared the Lord, I am reminded that that is a call for me to remember my place before a holy, just, and righteous God. Them remembering who they are and who God is leads them to obedience. Church, when we take time to consider our ways, when we take time to fear the Lord and know who we are, and know who He is, that should lead us to obedience as well. And as the people begin to obey Haggai, the servant messenger of God, Haggai brings them this other word, their their own obedience. Haggai said, this is what you should do, and, and they're doing it because the Lord gave the word to Haggai. And then Haggai brings this other word, and it's this simple and short statement. I am with you, declares the Lord. Wow. Their obedience has brought them back to the Lord. And he's made this this beautiful promise to them. I am with you, declares the Lord. Man. To the people hearing that, after they had struggled a little bit and had they had seen some things and and they had just done that to get that promise i am with you would be so 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 comforting to them because we see this as a promise of comfort the people had been in exile and now they were back in the land that god had given them and they were they were struggling to flourish and they were struggling to prosper and it would be easy for the people to think that god had forgotten them But our God does not forget His people. As you read through Scripture, you can see that that God does not forget His people. The problem is, is His people, they are wayward. And they often forget Him. God is always with His people. The name given to Jesus in the Old Testament is Emmanuel, meaning God with us. How comforting is that? God is our God and and we are His people and He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. He is not changing. He is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. Such a promise of comfort. But but it's not just a, a promise of comfort. It's a promise of blessing. In this first portion of the chapter, the people were eating, drinking, dressing, planting, laboring, never getting satisfied, never seeing enough, 
never moving forward in, in their plans and their dreams. No matter what their efforts were, there was just, just never enough. But in spite of all of that, God promises his presence with his people. This is a promise that the people will succeed and that the people will persevere. And it's God, not the people. It is God that brings that success and it's God that brings that perseverance. John Calvin says it this way, and it's a little wordy, a little heady, but you'll get the idea. He says, nothing more inspirits men and rouses them from torpor than relying on the promises of divine aid. They have sure hope of successful issue. Now, that's a weird quote, and I get it's a little, a little antiquated in our language, but, but what he's getting at is, is knowing that God is with us and knowing that God is aiding us is reassuring us. And it brings about this, confident, this confidence in, in believers that, that keeps believers moving forward. That's where the motivation comes from, to keep plugging away. And as followers of, of Christ, our perseverance is, is different than the rest of the world's perseverance. Because our perseverance, we have the promise of the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. Right? That's our guarantee. What Jesus did on that cross and him rising up from the grave, that's a guarantee for us. And not, and not only do we have this, this resurrection as our guarantee, but we also are able to partake in the resurrection. We get to participate and experience the resurrection because Christ will return and he will conquer and he will reign eternally. And those of us who are in Christ have been blessed to have been adopted as the children of God. And because of this, because we are His, we can have confidence. That declaration of, of I am with you, man, it's more than, than God just being in that temple. It's more than just God blessing the work. It's more than just God saying, I'm close by. I am with you is a statement of Jesus' victory and a statement of us sharing in his triumph. And as God tells the people here, I am with you, he assures them that they are recipients of his grace. The people heard the word of God and they believed it. Right? Consider your ways, he says, and and they considered them, and they believed the word of God. And when they believed the word of God, they repented and turned from their sins. And then God affirmed his presence among them. This is how God responds to repentance. He is consistent in this throughout Scripture. I like what, what Paul writes in, in 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. See, just like the people of Haggai's time, we are perpetually forgetting the grace that God has shown us. We struggle to place our, our priorities straight. We seek satisfaction in worldly gain rather than in the Lord. 
And we too have a disappointing harvest as a result. We wind up being less than satisfied with the results of all of our striving. But just like the people of Haggai's time, we too need to consider our ways. As we pri- are we prioritizing the things of God? Are we prioritizing honoring Him and glorifying Him? Or have we put God on, a, on the back burner? He's just kind of there, but we don't need Him right now. We'll get to Him later. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Have we, like the Apostle Paul, learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and learned to be content in whatever situation? So as I read Haggai chapter 1, it tells me that we are called to repent, to ask God to search our hearts and to see what is keeping us from making Him our priority. We are called to ask God to to remove the barriers that keep us from our obedience to Him. And when we do repent, when we clear our hearts and our minds of the things that keep us from prioritizing obedience to God, we see that the Spirit moves and does amazing work. Look at verses 14 and 15. After the Lord had just said, I am with you, we see now in verse 14, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. All the people had their spirits stirred up. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of their of hosts, their God. See, we see this, this divine prompting of the people. The Holy Spirit motivates them to take action. And God awakens his people with an intense desire to serve him. They have this intense desire to honor Him, an intense desire to worship Him so that He may be glorified and they may be used by Him. The other thing I look at that and I see is that work happens as a result of that repentance. It happens as a result of that obedience. And the thing is, is it's a work that can only be done through the enabling power of a sovereign God and His Holy Spirit. Spirit. As we get ready to close out today, let us pray that we too may be blessed by this kind of enabling power. Let us ask God to stir our spirits just like He did the spirits of Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the people in Haggai's time. Let us consider our ways and prioritize our God. Would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Father in heaven, I just thank you so much. Thank you so much for this time we've had to be in your word. Father, I pray that as we prepare to depart from here and to go out into our our workplaces this week, as we go to um, our homes and our families, 
I pray that in what we do, that we take the time to consider our ways. We spend time asking you to clear out our hearts, clear out our minds of the things that prevent or provide barriers to us really honoring and glorifying you. Father, we ask that as we repent and we come to see you, that you awaken in us a desire to serve you, a desire to honor you, a desire to worship you and to make you you known. Father, we ask for a movement among us like we see a movement among Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people of Haggai's time where, where it's you motivating us to give our best to you, to consider our ways and to prioritize you. Father, I pray that and I ask of that. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things.